there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to Time for Coffee. I'm so glad you could join us. Hope classes are going well. Hope the job isn't giving you too many headaches. And speaking of headaches, I think caffeine does help them. And I hope you've got a nice big mug of some kind of caffeinated ambrosia because it is time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest today is a Java junkie. Not only does he love coffee, but he is 25 years old. Jose Castaneda is the communications manager at the Information Technology Industry Council, a trade association in D.C., and we are going to be learning more about it in just a couple of minutes here. Jose and I actually met at a recent Facebook event in D.C., and I just had that feeling that he would be really helpful to those of you who are interested in communications and maybe even interested in the intersection between communications and the tech industry. So, Jose, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am getting caffeinated. I'm drinking uh, some iced coffee as we speak from Paul. And uh, thanks for having me on, Andrew. Is that Paul's, the the French bakery? Uh, Yeah, it's about a block from my office. One of my colleagues was nice enough to bring me back an iced coffee. What a lovely colleague you have. I wish that my colleagues would do that for me, but then most of them are interns working out of my house, so beggars can't be choosers. Jose, you are currently the communications manager at the Information Technology Industry Council. Why don't we begin by telling Java junkies what ITI is, and then we can get into your job. ITI is a tech trade association that represents the biggest names in the technology space. So we our members include Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, IBM, Microsoft, and more. We have 67 members of the biggest tech companies, and we help advocate for them in Washington, Sacramento, uh, China, Europe, and around the globe. And so it's a it's a fun time and, and, and on a wide range of issues from privacy to cybersecurity to workforce, AI issues. Uh, it runs the gamut. Every day is a different day. And what do you do in your role as communications manager? Yeah. Yeah, so in my role, my primary responsibilities are day-to-day management with press. So I talk to reporters, producers, and my job is to help shape the narrative for the organization and make, ensure that ITI's voice is heard on a, on the tech issues that are important to us. And so that includes things like talk, uh, crafting talking points, press releases, um, and, and just you know making sure that I'm aware of also what's going on in the in the narrative being written about the industry. How did you kind of learn how to draft talking points and a good? press release and a strong statement when you didn't study it in school. Yeah, and yeah, that's true. So I that took a little bit of time actually. Writing press releases and op-eds and policy blogs, it, it's different it's a different kind of writing than you do at school where I, I grew up in Florida, so our writing felt like it was just always tailored towards tests and making sure that we just understood basic things. And so when you write press releases and talking 
points. The best way that I've learned is basically by reading. I try to read uh, reading other press releases, reading feedback from my boss, reading what my colleagues have done. And so from there, you kind of are able to find the voice of the organization. And from there, you can kind of tailor, once you get the voice at a basic level, you can then tailor it in a way that's maybe unique for you. And, and, and maybe you can, you know, tweak something that you just didn't think maybe was as good as it could be, or you, you know, the times have changed, so you need to change it a little bit. And, and, th- and that's how I would say I've learned, but, but it takes a great deal of writing and you need to be willing to just take feedback and not make it personal, but instead, run with it, learn from it, and uh, it'll make you better. Can you take us inside a typical day for you, Jose? If we were a fly on the wall in your office, what would we be seeing and hearing? What are your, you know, hours like? Are you waking up at the crack of dawn to read various publications, trying to get a sense of what's happening with your various clients just take us into that day. Yeah. So, you know, my day starts before I get into the office. My day starts at roughly, my alarm is set for 6.45, but I'll be honest with you, I'm up at seven. Um, <laughs> and from there, I, you know, I read Morning Tech and I read Mike Allen's uh, daily newsletter. Morning Tech gives me a good insight of what's happening within just the tech industry and, and, and gives me a good kind of a feel for what may happen today. In addition to different, you know, what's going on around town that I need to pay attention to and just the issues driving the day. In this position, you need to know what's happening and the narrative that is occurring. In addition to that, Mike Allen's piece lets me kind of have a decent overview of what's happening in Washington at large. And so that's how I like to start my day. In addition to that, we send a daily newsletter to all of our member companies and outside people that signed up to our newsletter. And that newsletter is compiled in, in, in its its purpose is to basically just show like what the top two stories of the day are. And then like that's on top. And then we have other stories that are important to our membership. And we send that out to over 3000 people every morning. And so my job is to approve that and make sure it gets out by eight. And then that's my morning. And so I then get ready, go into work. I'm on email thanks to my cell phone at any moment in any day. Um, and so I walk to work in that I try to listen to music, but in addition to that, I'm checking Twitter, I'm checking my email, I'm reading other newsletters that just would give me information about what's happening on the day to day. But more importantly, I have to be connected at really any moment because you don't know when that reporter is going to call you or that producer is going to call you. And since we advocate on a global landscape and on global issues, I could get calls from folks at BBC at like six in the morning, but it's, you know, noon over there. And so you just have to be ready at like a drop of the dime. And so I take pride in doing that, answering calls and and understanding that I need to be responsive. Because in this town, like people move quickly and you need to be ready at, uh, at any notice. And so I take that fairly seriously. Um, when I get into the office, today I got in, for instance, at eight, I needed to do, I basically needed to send some emails from the night before and, and catch up on work for this, for this morning. Um, but I will tell you this, we're, because of something I read last night, you know, at right before I went to bed at midnight, I'm now crafting a policy blog and basically in response to an op-ed that I read. That's my way of saying that I didn't know that I was going to be doing this, you know, 10 hours ago. 
But because of the nature of the job, things like that just pop up and you have to be able to take advantage of opportunities that align with your communication strategy. You don't necessarily get to dictate the timing of things. Uh, there, there's a lot of outside factors. And so things like that pop up pretty frequently. On another typical day, I try to meet with reporters, whether it's on the phone or in person. I think it's very important that you stay in touch with reporters. Not even You don't even have to be pitching them something, but you just need to be in communication so that when they are writing that story about something that's important to you, they think about reaching out to you. And so I take that part of the job very seriously. And so that happens fairly regularly. In addition to that, there's always meetings internally that is, is fairly typical where you know, different because different issues pop up at different times. There's a lot of cross collaboration between me and the different policy folks that are in charge of certain issues. And so my day is constantly I can easily say this without any hesitation. I know everyone in the office the best because I've had to work with everyone because their issues on certain days pop up. And it just creates an environment where I, you know, have to go sit down with them and like work through a statement or talking points. And, and there's just a lot of collaboration. And so I would say a communications, any communications professional is constantly collaborating and working with their policy folks. And so that's that, that's fairly like a day to day for me. It's, you know, some days are a little some days the mornings are a bit hectic. For instance, this morning, last night was a little more hectic for me where I was here until, you know, seven and. And it, my day really didn't start like what I felt like a little uh, ratchet up until like 530. And so you just have to be ready and you have to be able to adapt when it happens. But I, that's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. I would think it especially with what's happening right now with, you mentioned privacy, cybersecurity, uh, hacking, politics, all of that. I have to imagine that there's it's a very rare day when you don't have much going on. Yeah, yeah. And you, you know, what's important that I found in this in communications is you have to be ahead of certain things. You have to be ahead of certain narratives because it could be you could very quickly be on the defensive. And when you're what I found is when you're on the defensive, you're losing. And so my job, what I found to be most successful is if I'm just engaging earlier on with reporters and people to lay down the groundwork before something really does boil up and they're just like, okay, now you're just selling me talking points, mm. right? Where you can have a more honest and serious discussion with people. So if, if you're a comms professional, you, I, I believe it's important that you need to engage on a, on, on an issue before it becomes really hot or really important because you'll just build more credibility that way. And they just don't, and, and, and you're not just swooping in. You've created a relationship with this reporter. I totally agree. Having been the reporter on the other right. side of it, not in your industry, but in, uh, obviously, in foreign affairs and Capitol Hill and then as a foreign correspondent for sure and as a local reporter I think that what you're doing being strategic is super smart and I'm sure it's already paid off for you many times yeah uh, I hope so I don't mind yeah <laughs> So do you actually have like a written strategy that guides you in most of the work that you're doing? Yeah, on, on the most important issues that, you know, that we have deemed as priorities at ITI, we do. We meet regularly about ensuring we meet our goals. And, and once I know it's a priority for the organization, I then start to lay my own groundwork. And so the groundwork that I do isn't something that is, you know, rigid and that I'm 
like on this week, I'll meet with this person or that or that. There's flexibility in there so that when stuff does occur, you know, things can easily be changed or adapted to. But uh, but on the big issues and the big priorities, yeah, there's a somewhat of a plan um, when we're rolling anything out. It, it needs to be right. There's two components to it. There's the advocacy, whether it's dealing with lawmakers and folks in the administration. And then there's the, the other half of that advocacy effort, which is the communications aspect, and they go hand in hand. And so at an early stage, you need to be able to work with your lobbyists and your policy folks to ensure that you're all there. And so when it's time to roll, you can do it. Because what I found, too, is once you, you know, let the cat out of the bag with press, you got to just you got to own it. Right. And so you have to make sure you're on the same page with your policy folks, because, you know, if if you get an embargo time wrong and it's in the press before it gets in the to the inbox of, you know, a member of Congress or someone in parliament in the EU or you know, whatever, it could lead to a damaging impact because these individuals don't want to be reading something in the press before they see it. And so you just have to be in tandem. Have you ever been burned by a reporter? And by that, I mean, you spoke to them on background, which meant that they couldn't quote you by name. They might not even, depending upon what agreement you have with that journalist, be able to cite you as being with a particular industry and found out that, oh my God, like they use this information. Uh, No, I'm very cautious about that because I think I, you know, didn't necessarily have the pedigree of being a comms professional. So I whenever I have a conversation with any reporter, we lay the groundwork. That's my first question. I'm always like, you know, before we start, are you good with background off the record, on the record? And so that's how I have approached. I've approached it. I, I've been fortunate to not be burned by so far anyone. Um, now granted, I've just been in this role of leading day-to-day press here for about a year. So there's always time. But, <laughs> <Let's> uh, <hope> <laughs> right. so, but I, I would say I, I genuinely have thoroughly enjoyed working with reporters. I think if you just work in good faith, it's usually a two-way street. So Jose, you have been at the Information Technology Industry Council for about two and a half years. And one of the things I thought was so interesting looking at your resume is that you had four internships. They started in some instances while you were still in college, but continued up until the time you joined ITI. What do you, um, first of all, why did you have so many? And what do you think the benefits were of having worked for many different organizations as an intern? I think, you know, my first real internship was an, was on a local campaign down in Florida. And well, actually, even before that, when I was in high school, I was a senior in high school, and I sat on the editorial board of my local, the Sarasota Herald Tribune, where I got to interview different candidates running for office for the paper to endorse them. Lessons from even back then I take and use now. And so all of my internships have just given me some sort of takeaway. And they've been fairly unique. So, you know, on on a campaign, you're able to learn the importance of being gritty, where resources are finite, and you have to go and knock on doors and you have to eat, you know, less than ideal pizza. Um, (laughs) But you just hunker down and working hard with people. And so on my first campaign that I worked on, it was to help reelect mayor of Gainesville. And so there was a bit of an issue that occurred where the, uh, the mayor had an incident 
incident with a, a drunk driving incident that tested the team on whether or not you wanted to stay working for the candidate. And to me, I stayed on because I, I, I believed in values and ideals that this individual espoused. But, and, I, and I understood that at times people make mistakes. So when you work on campaigns, I learned early on that you don't necessarily always have to have, you have to believe in the candidate, of course, but the values and ideals that you're fighting for are also important. And you have to find a trust and a level of commitment from a team. And so at that point, I really learned early on the importance of loyalty. Um, from there, I, I came up to D.C., worked at a couple of uh, at, a, at a tech trade association. That was my first internship up here. I learned how Washington, to a degree, kind of works and just at a very high level, right, as an intern over the summer. But I, I, I saw how some stuff happened. And, and that to me was was important to know, like, OK, I want to come back here. And so I came back after I graduated and I was fortunate enough to to get to work for AT&T's public policy shop. And at AT&T, I learned the importance importance of, you know, kind of one, the importance of what federal agencies like the FCC can do. I, I got to see a little bit more of like how this city really operates from a political machine. And anytime you say you have a company like AT&T behind your name, people listen, people talk, you're exposed to things that, you know, one may not get to. Um, and so I, I was surrounded by really smart people and people to this day that still help guide me. And, and that was a real good learning opportunity. In addition to that, I then went and worked at a firm called Hamilton Place Strategies. That's where I kind of learned communications. I was on different accounts and clients where it was demanding. I would work from, truth be told, from 8 a.m. to like 7 p.m. It was in the fall. There were some days where I only knew the sun came out because I had a window where I was sitting. Oh, my gosh. Um, but it was it was very demanding. It, it, it was also taught me the importance of a team because you're on different clients and accounts and there's like five to seven of you. And so you're in it together. And so at that point, it was it was fun. It was interesting. And I knew like, you know, this stuff is interesting. And, and I worked on an account that tried to reauthorize the export import bank. And so I was one of like, 10 people in Washington that really cared about this issue. But at that point, I knew that I could get behind even the most niche thing. And I just liked the thrill of working towards something and advocating for something. And so the different internships not only taught me different lessons, but they also gave me a wide range of contacts. And so if you work well and you're, uh, you know, can be competent at a job, your bosses tend to like you and moving forward like you create uh, contacts. And so that's kind of been what it's what's occurred through my different internships, the takeaways. So another thing that I think our Java junkies would appreciate hearing you talk about, Jose, is your perspective as a Latino coming to D.C. from Florida was a bit of a culture shock, right? Yeah, it was. Um, this city is, is is primarily there's just not a ton of diversity at times, whether it's on the hill or downtown. And so it, it's not just a culture shock in, in in that. But I also came from a household. I'm a first generation college student. I, you know, came from a household that didn't make more than $40,000 any given year. And so this city, you know, a lot of folks are able to make it because they don't, uh, they can take unpaid internships. And, and the only way to really do that is if you kind of come from a, an affluent background. So not being able to do that and not coming from a certain class, you not only have to learn how the city operates, but you need to learn the culture of the people that are here, right? And so I I went from thinking that I was pretty cool back at home because I went to Europe once 
to coming here where people have not only checked off Europe, but they're now going to more exotic places. You know, they're they're uh, vacationing in the Hamptons or Cape Cod or out in Sonoma. And, and so you, you just have to understand not only do you have to catch up on how to be a professional here, but you have to realize and learn the norms, the social norms of a city. And so, you know, it's not that it's not possible. It's certainly doable. And people have done it before me, will do it after me. But it's just something that I didn't necessarily think about when I came here. But I would encourage all folks to be cognizant of that and understand that it's as important to know an issue as it is to know how the city operates. Mm, that is such Great advice, Jose. So let's flash back, not that far for you, <laughs> but <laughs> to, uh, to your time at the University of Florida. You majored in economics and poli-sci. Did you know what you were going to do with the those degrees when you graduated? Yeah, college was a great time. Uh, shout out to all the Gators. Um, I... I didn't necessarily know for sure what I was going to do. When I was at UF, I actually was doing research on election laws. That was like my first love. Um, I, I think that's a fascinating issue. But what I found out quickly is that issue is very partisan. It's very there's just not a lot of great work being done in that space that's collaborative. There's usually one side and it's pretty combative. So that was a turnoff for me. Um, at first, I was actually thinking of I was going to maybe get a PhD and do research. But that just I realized towards the end of my college tenure that it, that wasn't for me. Um, and, and so I knew that I kind of you know, I, the way I got into tech policy was for a love of this issue was I was 21. I was out for my 21st birthday out in Denver. My now ex-girlfriend at the time was like, we should go pick up a book for the flight back. I agreed. I stumbled upon Christia Freeland's uh, book titled um, Plutocrats, The Rise of the Super Rich and the Fall of Everyone Else. I've always had an interest in income inequality, and that's what the book was about. But coming from Florida, where I was primarily from the Sarasota area, so more older individuals, I was literally on the opposite side of tech and Silicon Valley around older people that didn't necessarily love technology. And so that was my first real taste and understanding of you know, the book talked about my wave of influential people and people that are going to make money. And it was these tech individuals. And I was like, well, I need to kind of know what these people are going to do. And I was like, I don't know how to code or, you know, engineer, but I can certainly run my mouth and advocate. So um, I took a bit of a chance and took an internship that summer that was tech focused and haven't really looked back. But I can tell you, I you know, I can pinpoint to that moment as something that I bet my career on and will bet my career on. Um, but I had no idea it was going to be specifically communications. I thought for the longest time I was going to, you know, I loved just policy. But but no one really tells you what the different aspects of policy are. Right. And so I, you know, I'm able to at times use what my mother describes the lawyer in me when I'm debating with a reporter, right, about a certain narrative or an issue. And I can get that side out. Um, but I had, again, no real concrete idea that this was it. That is what I hope Time for Coffee will do, is to help Java junkies see all the different aspects of different professions that are available to them and get to hear and learn more about the jobs from people like you. Yeah, I, uh, I, I hope so. I, 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 you know, if there's any takeaway, I'd say is like, there's no right way to create a career. I think you know, we're pressured in a lot of different ways to do one thing or another, whether it's society, whether it's family, whether it's, you know, teachers. 
but you know, at the end of the day, you have to kind of figure out what's right for you. And so it, sometimes it means taking chances. Sometimes it means taking risks and sometimes it means, you know, trying new things. But I will say when you kind of get the emotions of both excitement and fear together and you live through that experience, the best outcomes tend to happen. And so if you can kind of get into that kind of space, I think you'll you'll find yourself having a, a fulfilling career. So when I was a journalist, Jose, if mm-hmm. I could kind of go back to that period, I, the quote that you just gave me there, that would be where the, the, the alarm bells were going off in my head saying, there's the soundbite. <laughs> that was it right there, Jose. So hopefully Java junkies are paying attention and can take that in because I agree with you 150%. So Jose, what was your first job out ha- of school and how did you get that job? My first job out of school was an internship with AT&T and I, w- I stumbled upon it on Tom Manitos's job website. I applied for it. And I was fortunate enough to have a future boss that believed in me and just the old fashioned way applied, interviewed, got the gig. And before we leave college entirely behind, was there (laughs) anything else that you did outside of just studying that in hindsight you think were actually assets once you started pounding the pavement looking for that first internship, whether it was different extracurricular activities, clubs, paying jobs, things like that? Yeah. So there were two things that helped guide me while I was at the University of Florida. I was part of the McNair Scholars Program, which allowed me to be around another subset of high achieving minorities of of different backgrounds, whether it's science, social sciences, that gave me a place of comfort. And and while I was a part of the program, I did research on election laws. And so that that just helped me know that I really did love these issues. Um, While I was at UF, I also worked on a couple of uh, campaigns and, and, and campaigns just, you know, you just learn how to be gritty and, and join team and, and understand the importance of, of a team. And so those two things help guide me into where I am now. One of the things that I try to do in all the Time for Coffee interviews, Jose, is to ask my guests to share with the Java Junkie community a time for you in your professional life and even though your professional life hasn't been as long as others, could you give us an example or a moment when you had, whether it was a challenging boss, difficult colleague or colleagues, or other moments maybe where you felt completely overwhelmed and had to dig deep in order to get to the other side? Yeah, you know, that's a great question, because it's not always rainbows and butterflies. When I was at, um, I was jockeying for a um, job at one of my internships. At the end of the internship, there was going to be one person that got the job. There were, I think, six of us vying for it. I ended up not getting it. I didn't have something lined up afterwards. And so I had moved to Washington on my belief that I could, you know, just make it here. And I I deferred graduate school for a year. And so I found myself then being unemployed. And I just didn't think that would happen. You know, I came up here thinking that I knew these issues and knew how to do this and that really well. And it would just happen. I wanted to come to DC my whole life. It'd just be easy. For those two, almost three months, 
I, I was challenged to one internally, I debated myself, like, do I belong here? Can I actually do this? I was just rejected, you know, and I didn't expect that to ever happen here. And so that to me was a moment where I had to like dig deep a little bit. I had to sell my car to make rent. Um, and, and, and so there, there were moments where I just had to think if this was really for me, there were, you know, I was probably a month or two if I didn't get a job having to move back to Florida. And so I, something I learned from my mom that has stuck with me is a level of, uh, in keeping a degree of optimism. And so, you know, every moment doesn't work out well and every incident will be, won't be easy as long as you're willing to work hard and you're willing to stay hopeful and you're willing to do the right thing, good things will happen. And so I, I've kind of stuck by that. And, and, and that's that level of optimism and that degree of hope have, have helped fuel me and, and my uh, future. Jose, you are exactly the kind of young person that I would have been looking to hire. And I have great hopes for you. You are going to continue to move and and excel in everything you do because you've got all the ingredients right there. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much for making time for coffee with me and with the Java Junkie community today. If folks are still with us, you have just gotten kernels of gold from Jose. Thank you so much, Andrea. I appreciate it. It was great being on. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.